Pastor, that you bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, our hearts, I, I pray right now, would just be open to receive from you. And, and Lord, that uh, we would be ones that, uh, people that are teachable, right now desiring to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever we gain from your text, as we make application, I want to hear from you and apply it into my life. And Lord, help me to, to do these things that you, you are pressing on my heart. And, and Lord, I just thank you that you desire for us to do well. Do well in the things of the kingdom. And so we go over this text, not just for a historical lesson, there is, but Lord, for personal application. So bless this time in the study of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 22, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So David, of course, at this time is on the run from Saul. Saul has sought to kill David. He's already thrown a spear at him three times and missed. David had to leave his home, escape from his home, and he's now on the run. And you recall that in chapter 21 that David being on the run, remember that as Saul is pursuing David, this isn't just uh, David coming after, or Saul coming after David. Uh, Saul has the, the ability is he has the power of being king. He's still on the throne. He is one that is able to recruit his servants, recruit the Israeli army to pursue David. He has power and influence in that he can tell the inhabitants in Israel and those of certain villages that if you conspire against me, it's big trouble for you. So David really has a challenge ahead of here as he is now being pursued by Saul. So he ended up going to the house of the Lord, and he met with Ahimelech, the priest. And the priest, of course, gave him some holy bread and Goliath's sword. And David, when he went, you recall in chapter 21, he said to Ahimelech, uh, the priest, that I'm here on a secret mission uh, from the king, and that's why I'm alone, because the priest was wondering, why are you alone, David? And the men should be with you, and you're an important you know, part of this kingdom. You're the son-in-law to the king. You are captains over the, you know, Israeli army. And he was nervous. And so David would lie to the priest and say that he was on a secret mission. Now keep that in mind, chapter 21, what we went over, because we're going to see that that is going to play a part here as we continue uh, in this chapter. And, and we're going to refer back to it. But David, after he goes there and receives that holy bread and that sword of Goliath, what does he do? He does something very interesting. He goes to Philistine territory and he goes to the city of Gath. Now, Gath was the place that Goliath was from. And David, why he did that, I think the reason was is because he knew that Saul wasn't going to go into Philistine territory and certainly not to the city of Gath. So he's thinking, at least I'm going to be safe from Saul. But of course, David, who slewed Goliath, and there wasn't you know, a family there in Gath that didn't know about David, or David had been one that had been battling the Philistines. Uh, David was found out, and uh, they took him to the king of Gath, and David acted insane. He pretended to be insane to where the king said, get him out of my presence. And I want to remind you of that story again, because the tendency can be for us is when we face difficulties or we feel like the, the world is pursuing us and, and causing uh, difficulties and wanting to do us in and we have challenges, 
the tendency can be is that we want to go to the enemy's territory. We want to go by the way of the world. And, and we see that throughout Scripture, that the Lord says, don't go in that direction. It would be Abraham that we saw that when there was famine in the book of Genesis, that he would go to Egypt. God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. And he was there, and it was Abraham that ended up going through difficulty as he was in Egypt. We know that throughout the Scriptures that it was the house of Israel and the house of Judah. They seemed to always be kind of wanting to align themselves with Egypt, Egypt being a picture of the world. And the tendency very easily for us as Christians, listen, is that when we're going through difficulties and we feel like, you know, it's just I need to do something, the tendency can be to go into the enemy's territory. I'll just kind of go to the old hangouts, go to the old gang. I'll just kind of hang out in the world's pleasures where they are. I'm going to do things in my own understanding. And what David does is he leaves that place, and he goes to the cave of Adullah. Now, Adullah means refuge. And he's going to go to that place of refuge, and that's where you and I need to go to. Now, think about David's situation. He can't go back to Bethlehem. He can't go back to his house where his wife Michael is. He can't go back to Jonathan and, and see him, his, his friend, his close friend. He, he can't go to Samuel's house, the spiritual leader. He has nowhere to go. But he goes to Adullah, the place of refuge. And one of the, the beautiful things about studying David's life is that when we look at his life, we can see what his heart was feeling and what was in his heart because of the psalms that we have. And at this time, when he's in this cave, Dave, David uh, writes uh, Psalm 142. He writes Psalm 57. And you can write those two psalms down. Matter of fact, I want to read to you from Psalm 142 as a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. And, and we get an insight to David's heart, what it was that he was feeling. And the blessing for us as we look at these psalms is David, inspired by the Spirit of God, he was one that was able to articulate so beautifully oftentimes the, the things that we feel when we are going through difficulties, when we are going through hard times. And we can read these psalms and we can see how David cries out to the Lord and, and we can say, you know, I feel kind of what David is going through is he's overwhelmed and his enemies surrounding him and in a place of difficulty and confusion. And then he begins to worship the Lord and it's such an encouragement to you and to me. But in Psalm 142, I'll read it to you. As he says, I cried out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, and made my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. So David goes to the Lord. He says, I told the Lord my trouble. I, I made my supplication to him. And you and I, in our lives, we can do the same thing. We can cry out to the Lord. We can give him our supplications. And that's what we are to do. And in verse 3, he says, When my spirit was overwhelmed there in Psalm 142, within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walked. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. And certainly there are times where we feel like 
that, you know, does anybody really care? Does anybody really see what I'm going through and, the, and what I'm walking through? And, and that's what David is feeling like at this time. And then he goes on, he says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. And bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. And so as you look at that psalm, in this time that David is, is being pursued by Saul, it's, it's a tough time for David. He is growing in the Lord, and he is learning some things that are very valuable in his spiritual walk with the Lord. He says in this psalm that God knows your path, first of all, in verse 3, as I read. And then in Psalm 142, he, he knows your pain. Know this, that the Lord knows your pain. He knows what it is that you're going through. He knows the difficulties that you are experiencing, and he knows exactly what it is that you're going through. And you see, I can talk with people, and I can minister to people, and I may know somewhat of what they're going through. I may have had similar experiences, but I don't know exactly what it is that they're going through. But the Lord, He does. He knows your pain. So God knows our path. He knows what we're going through. He knows our pain. And then in this psalm, God is our protector as well, and know that He desires to be your refuge and protector as well. And then as he finished that psalm in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 142, God is your praise as well. So as we go through these psalms, and I'll make mention of them, you can go through there and you can make application. You can see the heart of David as he expresses his hearts in those, those psalms. And then in Psalm 57, he talks about that, Lord, I'm going to hide under the shadow of your wings. I'm going to make you my refuge. So here is David. He's in this cave. The Lord is working through him and growing him. And I don't like caves personally. I don't. I just... Some people like to explore caves. I don't. I think they're just dark and they're cramped and they're damp. I just never have really cared too much for caves. But I do know this, that in those dark places and in those places where I feel like the world's just kind of closing in on me, where things feel kind of damp and, and whatever it might be, I know that there can be growth. And there can be God working in my heart and growing me and doing a work in me. And that's what he's doing with David here at this time. Yes, it is very difficult for David. But David is learning to trust in the Lord. He's learning that he needs to go to the Lord for refuge, not to the enemy's territory. He's learning that God's going to be his protector, that God knows his path. He knows that, that God sees him and, and that he is truly my refuge as I go to him. And it's in the scriptures when you see those who are in dark places that God is still working. You can ask Jonah, right? He was in a dark place in the belly of a large fish for three days. And then he would cry out to the Lord. And the Lord would use Jonah. It's like Joseph. He was thrown in the book of Genesis in a dark dungeon as he was a prisoner of Egypt. We know it would be the same as, as Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. We know that Paul the Apostle would be thrown into a dark dungeon as well. And in those times where it's dark and it seems closed in, know this, that God is with you and that he sees you and he wants to continue to work through you. So David here, just, just learning these lessons as we go through this, and 
You can read it again in the Psalms. I'll make more references to them as he writes about those times that he goes through and crying out to the Lord is what he does and praising the Lord. And so we see here in verse 2, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. I love verse 2 here. I love verse 2 here because here are 400 men that are gathered to David. Now these 400 men are going to be known as David's mighty men. They're going to be men that are still talked about throughout the history of Israel because these are men that were used mightily of the Lord. They're going to be mighty warriors. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, you read about the list there of David's mighty men. Now we're going to see that this 400 is going to grow to 600, but these guys were ones that they killed giants just like David did. They were ones that, that dealt a mighty blow against the Philistines. We read about Adino who would take on and, and he would you know, take down a thousand Philistines at one time by himself. I mean, these are really great warriors and fighters because God is working through them and in them. We know that as Shama that would stand fast in that field of lentils, as David told him to, and he took on the Philistines and defeated them by himself. We know that it was another one of David's mighty men. As you go through that chapter, that he was fighting the Philistines, and he was so exhausted and, and expended so much energy in doing that, that the sword stuck to his hand after the battle was over. These are David's mighty men, mighty warriors that are going to bring great victory to the nation of Israel as they go out and fight the battles. And you see, what I love about this verse is, look at their qualifications. It says here, everyone who was in distress and debt and everyone who was discontented. That was the qualification of these mighty men. They were in distress. Lives weren't easy. Their lives were difficult. They were in debt. They hadn't seen a lot of success in life. They were discontented, which means bitter of soul. They had experienced the bitterness of life. And God brings these men to David. And he's going to use these men in a mighty way. And as I think about that, that brings me great encouragement. And the reason that it does is, is because of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, where Paul says that God chooses the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to not the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence. I believe that God wants to use us individually in a mighty way as we go out and fight the fight in the spirit, the spiritual battles that are around us. He desires for us to be able to be like Shama, to stand fast and do battle, just as he did and stood fast in that field of lentils. We know that uh, we are to have the sword of the Spirit, and, and I know that a person who is very much a one who does battle and, and is being used of the Lord is one who is, has the Word of God in their hand and in their hearts. And the Lord wants to do that kind of work with us as well. And what my prayer is, is that we would be ones that would say, you know what, Lord, I want to be a mighty man, a mighty woman as well. A man or woman of the word of God stands fast in faith, who trusts you and relies on you. I may not have very many qualities because I can look at this and think, yeah, I, I certainly can be discontented at time. I can be in distress in my life. And all these things, we're all spiritually bankrupt, but when we come to Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
And he saves us and forgives us, fills us with his spirit. He desires for us to be mighty as well. Mighty for the Lord as we go out and do battle, putting on the whole armor of God. But notice here something that we will see. That these men gathered around David. And David, he's already killed Goliath the giant. He's already dealt a a blow to the Philistines, a great warrior. As the people were singing songs to David, David has killed his ten thousands. And these guys are going to be doing what David did. David, that mighty warrior, we know that these men killed the giants of the Philistines, Second Samuel tells us. They were ones that would, again, be used mightily in, in defeating the enemies around them. They surrounded themselves around David, and they were like David. Do you realize that the men who surrounded themselves around Saul, that none of them killed any giants? Not a one. So what that tells me is, whoever you surround yourself with and you submit to and follow after, you're going to become more like that individual. You're going to be more like that one. You say, I'm going to gather around them and I'm going to follow them. Now for you and I as Christians, that's good news. Because we get to gather around Jesus. We submit to him. We follow him. And he desires for us to do such amazing things for him if we allow him to do that and work through us as we're surrendered to him. But if you surround yourself and prioritize anything else other than Jesus, you're not going to have that victory in the spirit. You're not going to be that, that soldier for Jesus Christ that you can and could be that if you truly surrender and, and your life to him and surround yourself you know, around Jesus Christ. These guys hung around David, and they began to fight like David. And you and I are being conformed into his image, that is Jesus Christ, from glory to greater glory every day. And it's a work of the Spirit, and it comes by just continuing to abide in Christ. So here are these guys. They, they are around David in verse 3. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come here with you till I know what... God will do for me. So he brought them before the king and of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, here is David's brothers that come to him, his mother and father. They come to the cave there. That cave of Dulem is in that area, really not all that far from Bethlehem. Remember that David is from Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, if you look straight east, you look at the Judean hills there, and in those Judean hills, very rocky, barren, steep terrain, and there's a lot of caves that are in that area. And then you, you're looking in the Jordan Valley where the Dead Sea is, and then on the other side of that valley, in the distance, is the mountains of Moab. So they would look at Moab. Here David goes to the king of Moab, and he says, I need my family to stay here, my mother and my father my my brothers to stay here. Why? Because their lives are in danger. Because Saul can come to them and put them away because they're David's family. So they need to be safe over there in Moab. And really, it's interesting because Jesse, who's David's father, who was Jesse's grandmother? You remember? It was Ruth. It was Ruth. Remember Ruth, the story of of Ruth there? And Ruth, she came from Moab with Naomi, 
Naomi from Bethlehem went over to Moab in a time of famine. She comes back with Ruth because her son had died and her husband and her other son. And so she comes back with Ruth and they come back to Bethlehem and Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. And so it is Ruth who is the great-grandmother of David. So really they're going over where family is. Hey, Jesse say, my, my grandmother is from here. So the king allows them to stay there until it's safe for them to be able to, to come back. But we see in verse 5, Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So the prophet Gad comes on the scene. Samuel here in a few chapters is going to pass off the scene. Uh, he's going to die, go home um, to be with his people, with the Lord. And we know that Samuel has been a spiritual leader for so long as we've been going through this book. But Samuel now, is, is his life is coming to an end. The prophet Gad is going to be ministering. And then when David takes the kingdom, that is, he's on the throne, it's going to be the prophet Nathan that's going to be ministering to him. But Gad says to him that, David, you need to go to the land of Judah. You need to not stay in the stronghold. You need to go to the land of Judah. So that's what David is going to do now. Here's interesting thing about that. Why would God, why would the Lord have David do that? Because he's going to be really parked in Saul's backyard. It's not the safest place for him to go. It's in Judah there. So why wouldn't he just keep him there in the stronghold, in the, in the caves of, of Adullah, where he feels safe there? Why didn't David even maybe perhaps stay over in Moab? But instead, he goes over to Judah. Well, a couple of things. God's going to use David to, to deliver one of the cities that we will see in the next chapter of Judah because Saul is so consumed with pursuing David and wanting to kill David, he is neglecting his responsibilities to the nation. So David's going to be used to save this city here. But also, I believe there's another lesson. And that is that God wanted David to learn to trust in him, not just on the other side of danger, but also in the midst of danger. And there are times where we feel like that we're in the midst of something that, Lord, this is extremely, perhaps, difficult, or maybe I feel like there's danger, whatever it might be, but, Lord, this is a time where I've got to trust in you in the midst of those situations and difficulties. And that's what David is going to be learning. In verse 6, when Saul heard that David was, and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah, with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make all you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So here is Saul. He thinks now everybody is against him. All his servants, all his men that are there. And it's interesting that he calls them, you guys, you Benjamites. Why did he use that term? Why did he call them Benjamites? I think there was a reason in that. Because here is Saul consumed, thinking everybody's against me, everybody's conspiring against me. You guys even 
you know, went as far as helping Jonathan make a covenant with David. And you think that he's going to give you vineyards and fields and promote you to a prominent position. You think that's going to happen? Remember this, you're Benjamites. He's from the tribe of Judah. He isn't going to give you those things. And here he is, Saul, he's, he's trying to manipulate these guys. He, he, he's saying you're against me. And that's one of the things that happens when we get to that place where we get so self-focused and we allow the bitternesses and the jealousies and the envies to just grow and explode in our hearts. It gets to be that, that you just are so focused on you that everybody else is against me and you begin to exaggerate the situation, and that's what Saul is doing. He's saying, all you guys are against me. Nobody likes me. And he could not accept the fact that Jonathan and David were right and that he was wrong. And he's putting all of his energy into pursuing David. Pursuing David. And he's just blaming everybody else for his unsuccessful you know, results so far. And that can happen if we're not careful when we begin to just be so self-consumed and absorbed with what it is that we're pursuing, what it is that we want so bad, how it is that we can get back at others. We start to think that everybody's against me. And that's what Saul is doing, and it's going to get worse. He's out of control here. In verse 9, we're going to see that very clearly. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nod, the, to Ahimelech, the son of uh, Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provision, gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. And so we see here that, remember Doeg, back in the previous chapter, when David was there at the, the house of the Lord, and he told Ahimelech, listen, I'm here on a secret mission. Ahimelech did not know that there's this problem with David and Saul, that Saul was pursuing him. He thought everything was fine. And, and the priest said, okay, you know, all I got is this holy bread. We're going to change out and give, you know, the tabernacle, the new bread on the showbread table. But you can have some of the old bread. And David lied at that time. David lied about why he was there. But while he was there, remember there was Doeg that was there, the Edomite? Now Doeg is a servant of Saul. He's a head herdsman, and he was there at the tabernacle performing or you know, fulfilling some ceremonial obligation that he had to do to, to be able to work for Saul. So he pipes up here, and he says, Well, Saul, by the way, there was David, and he was there at you know, the, the tabernacle, Ahimelech, was there, and Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him, which is untrue, isn't it? So here is Doeg, he's lying about it. He didn't inquire of the Lord, and he gave him, you know, provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistines. And so, verse 11, the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest and the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? 
So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. So Ahimelech's trying to defend himself. He's saying, listen, David, he's your son-in-law. He's your servant. He is faithful to you. He's got a good reputation. It's already been told to us several times that David behaved very wisely in the presence of Saul. I thought he was doing your business. I didn't inquire of him. I'm not conspiring against you. This is not true. I haven't done anything wrong. And so the king in verse 16 said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. They said, we're not going to do this, Saul. You're not going to drag us into this. This is wrong. And what I pray is that when we have somebody that wants you know, you to do their dirty work, I want you to kill them with words or you know, try to ruin their reputations and try to recruit you to do that, that you would stand and say, no, this is wrong. I am not going to do this. And that's what these guys did. But verse 18, we see the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children, nursing infants, ox, donkey, sheep with the edge of the sword. This is a very tragic portion of scripture, isn't it? You can see how out of control Saul is. He will stop at nothing. He will destroy whole families, and he destroys the family priesthood here. He, he'll destroy whole cities to try to get at David. If he thinks anybody has sided with David, he's unreasonable here. He's not listening to truth at all. And he has this evil, terrible man kill all the priests there, 85 men. We also know verse 19 as, all the children and nursing infants and oxen and donkeys were also put down by the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David and Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be saved. So one escapes, he goes to David. David says, you stay here, you'll be safe with me. But David realizes what his sin has done. Now David is not directly responsible for the death of these guys. But he knew that when he lied, that this is the rotten fruit that it has produced. And you see, there are times where we think that, you know, if I can just compromise in this area, we can look at David in chapter 21, and we discussed this, remember? David's there. He doesn't want the, the high priest to know that he's on the run. He, he doesn't know where his alliances are with, you know, Ahimelech, was he close to Saul or not? He was thinking that he was justified in lying to him, but now he realized that there was rotten fruit that came from this, and that is these priests got killed. 
Now Saul is responsible for doing it, but we know that David, he knows that he had a part in that. And the lesson for you and for me tonight is, if we think that we can compromise and good is going to come out of it, it won't come out. That rotten fruit is going to be produced. When we lie, when we are disobedient to the Lord, when we compromise in any way, know that, that we need to trust in the Lord and do what is right in every situation. So stay with me, and, and, and you'll be safe. This one of the priests that are left. Also, just for you Bible students, for you who've been taking notes, remember that this is Eli's family here. And part of this is, remember Eli's family? There was judgment that was pronounced against them because of Eli's sons. So this is that judgment that's being carried out. But it is a very ugly scene and a very ugly you know, part of Saul's life that he is doing. And then David also being a part of, of knowing that I lied and, and, and now Doeg was there and I shouldn't have done that. And he realized what he did was wrong. So chapter 23, then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they're robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So again, Saul is you know, not fulfilling his responsibilities in protecting the, the city you know, of Judah. Here were the Philistines coming through the threshing floor. That means that when it was harvest time, they would take the wheat and they would bundle it up, put it on the threshing floors, and there they would separate the wheat. They would throw up the, the wheat up in the air and the chaff would separate from the grain and then they would store the grain. So here the Philistines are robbing Judah, this city here, when it was harvest time. And that, that was very devastating to the city. And it was Saul's responsibility to make sure that they were safe. But he is not doing that because he's too busy pursuing David. So it's one of the reasons why God brought David to Judah to use him to save Keilah. And verse 3, David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. So what does David do? He inquires of the Lord. The men come to him and say, You know what? This is not a safe place for us to be. There's, first of all, only 400 of us. How are we going to go up against the Philistines? Only 400 of us. There's thousands of them. Second of all, we're in Judah. We're not in a safe place, and Saul's going to find out that we are here. But David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, David, you go to Keilah. And again, David would go, and the Lord confirmed that in David. I'm going to deliver the Philistines into your hands. You see, what is important is verse 5. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. It's not only knowing the will of God, but it's important for us to do the will of God, isn't it? And even in the times where we can be afraid and it doesn't make sense and we go to the Lord and he's saying, yes, I want you to be here. Then we go back to the Lord. Yes, I want you to be here. We go back and he keeps affirming it. That it's at that point where we need to come to a place where we say, okay, Lord, you are pressing this on my heart. You're telling me very clearly, perhaps in your word, 
that I'm to go in this direction, I'm, I'm to do this thing, I'm to give up that, I'm to do whatever it might be in the circumstance that you're in. And maybe it brings fear to you. Maybe you feel like that relationships might be broken. Or the security that I had at, at workplace, and I'm not going to be compromising at work anymore. I'm, I'm not going to cheat the books. I'm not going to cheat time or whatever it is. And, and you think maybe bad results are going to come from it. But as you know God's will, then you do it. And you let him take care of you. And that's what he does to these 400 men. They needed to understand that as they were in the will of God, that they were going to deal a mighty blow against the enemy. And that's what they do here. Because they're following after the Lord. And it's important for us to know God's will and then to walk in that will, to do it and trust in Him when He is clearly showing us and pressing it on our hearts. We continue in verse 6. Now it happened as Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah, so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So Saul, again, he's, he's willing to wipe out this city. He knows that David is there. He thinks this is it. He's more concerned about himself than the people. He is a terrible shepherd, Saul is. He's a terrible leader. David is one that cared about the people. David was one that was a good shepherd. And we can trust in our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Because we are his sheep and we're in his hands, he says, and no one's going to pluck you out. And my sheep hear my voice. He's the good shepherd, remember that. So he's ready to go to war against the city of his own city, Keilah. In verse 9, David knew that Saul plotted evil against him. He said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, the thing about the ephod, when you go to Exodus chapter 28, we've looked at this. Part of the priestly garment was this ephod, and it was like a vest. And then there was this breastplate of judgment attached to it, and it had a pouch. And they believe that's where in that pouch that they kept what was called the urm and the thummim. We've seen that mentioned in the Old Testament a few times. And so the men of faith, like Joshua and others, when they would cast lots, would they would ask of the Lord, they would go to the priest, and the priest would have the urm and the thummim. They don't know exactly what that was. We do know that it was not the urm and the thummim that Joseph Smith claims to have had to, you know, to translate reform Egyptian hydroglyphics of golden plates that he claims to find in New York to write the Book of Mormon. He said he did that all through the Urim and the Thummim, and they were kind of like these, these glasses that he can look at the reformed Egyptian hydroglyphic, and then he would translate it, and the scribe would write it down. That's not what the Urim and the Thummim was. They don't know exactly what it was, but perhaps two stones, two different colors, and the priest would pull one out, and that would symbolize, yes, you're to go to war, or you know, yes, that's the tribe that just got picked. And that's what David is probably doing here as they're mentioning the ephod here. So he's inquiring of the Lord. And David said in verse 10, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the man of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? 
O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then David said, will the man of Keilah deliver me and my man into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. So now his group has grown to 600 men here. And we know that David escapes here as he sought the Lord. The Lord is guiding him. And verse 14, David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Seth. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so the wilderness is not what we think of wilderness. It's rocky, barren, very steep terrain, very dry, desert. And there are those times in the we are in the desert that we feel like the enemy is pursuing us every single day. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come against us constantly, and he will. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Seth in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. And I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So Jonathan goes to his house. He's not with his father pursuing David. He meets up with David here. They reaffirm this covenant that we've already talked about. And Jonathan knows that, David, you're going to be the king. And when you are the king, then know this, that I'm going to be standing next to you. Now, a couple things here. In verse 16, Jonathan strengthened the hand um, his hand in God. And we need to do that with one another. When we have that brother or sister that feels like they're in the wilderness or feeling such attack from the enemy, to be able to come alongside of them and encourage them and, and, and to bless them and to lift them up and to remind them of the goodness of God, be praying for them. And I hope that's taken place with brothers and sisters. I know it is certainly here. And that's what's so wonderful about being a part of the body of Christ is we're here to edify and encourage and lift each other up in that way. Jonathan says, I'm going to be by your side. The tragic thing is Jonathan never would because Jonathan's going to be killed with his father, as we will see at the end of the book. So he goes home in verse 19. Then the Sephites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Sheshemon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him to the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you, the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there, for I am told he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, I will search for him throughout the clans of Judah. So the Sephites here, they say, hey, we know the land. Saul, we'll side with you. We'll go search the land. We know all the hiding places. And then when we find out where he is, we'll come and get you. And that's what they're going to do. So they rose and went, verse 24, to Seth before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain of the south of Sheshemon. When Saul and his men were to seek him, they told David, Therefore he went down to the rock, stayed in the wilderness of Maon. 
And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. And then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. You feel like you're in the wilderness. You feel like that you are being pursued by the enemy. Here they were circling David. They're about ready to close in on him. And all of a sudden news comes in. The Philistines are invading the land. And Saul had to go at that point. Because his own family and his own home was being threatened. So he had to go. And the Lord made a way of escape. And know again that in those times of wilderness and the enemy relentlessly pursuing you as he will that you have an escape you have a way of escape and david writes that throughout the psalms over and over again lord you're my escape you're my refuge and it was true for david as he was in that place and the lord delivered him the good news for you and i as christians the lord has delivered us from sin hasn't he from death we have the hope of heaven but in our own lives, when things are circling around us, I think what we've seen very clearly tonight is that the Lord sees us and desires to work in our lives. Don't give up. Don't go by the way of the enemy. Don't, don't just get so discouraged thinking that, you know what, the Lord isn't there. He is there. And he will work on your behalf. You keep looking to him. Let him be your refuge and your stronghold. And you will see that God will show himself strong on your behalf. Eventually, in time, he's going to work. And he's going to be faithful to his word to you. And he will as you look to him. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these stories that are here. And Lord, we learn from David. And we know that this word is written to us. So we can be encouraged that when we feel like we're being pursued by difficulties, the world is encircling around us, we're in a dry place spiritually, that, Lord, you're still there. And may we go to you for refuge. May we be seeking you or looking to you. And, Father, I do pray for, for any of us that, that feel just the pressures of the world or, Lord, just whatever it is that we may be going through that is hard and difficult, that, Lord, that we would turn to you and look to you and cry out to you, just as David did. And that we as a body would encourage one another in those times, strengthening the hand of the brethren.